Welcome to A Better Way with Crossroads Bible Church, a podcast about finding the activity of God in our stories and discovering how Jesus is building His kingdom among us, right here, right now. The goal is to inspire you to see and celebrate God's activity in your own life, too. And now your host, Sherry Hutspeth. Welcome to CBC's A Better Way podcast. Normally, this is hosted by Sherry Hutspeth. My name is Andy Zapata. And after doing an interview with Sherry earlier on in the season, I mentioned that it would be really neat to have Sherry get to share her story as well. And so after a little bit of conversation, we figured out that we could meet together. And so today, we're flipping the tables on Sherry. Your normal host is going to be in the hot seat. And we're going to get to know a little bit more about her. So, Sherry, welcome. Thank you. Thanks for giving me an opportunity to share my story, too. I appreciate that. Yeah, I'm, I'm really excited. I love learning more about different people. And so I don't think that I've actually gotten to hear a lot of this story. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I'm really interested in getting going. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, um, would you briefly describe your spiritual heritage? Yeah, so it was really fun um, to reminisce about this again. I come from a long line of Christians on both sides of my family. Um, I had a grandmother who was very interested in genealogy, so like goes all the way back to England and the Netherlands, and even know that some pastors came across the water to escape persecution and yeah. all that stuff. So it's pretty cool to know that about your story. And also... Um, you know, they didn't just stay in Boston. They moved west, and so um, they were pioneers, and that was very much led by their faith in God um, for a lot of them. So that's kind of exciting to remember about that's where I come from. And then the other thing that's pretty cool is that um, we moved around a lot as a kid. So in a lot of ways, some of my spiritual heritage comes from my grandparents' churches because we visited them often. Um, One side of the family was farmers, and like if you're watching an Old West film and there's ever a church in it, like that was the kind of church I walked into on a Sunday morning. Like there was room for you to walk down the aisle, and there were pews from that point to the wall all the way down. And so I'm, I'm picturing a, like a wedding chapel, like yes, we see every once yes. in a while with the, with the pews, the white sides. and the, Yes, yeah, yes. That's, that's what it was. That was what it was. Whereabouts were your grandparents? In western Kansas. Okay. Yeah. So, and, the, and there was the hymn board on the, you know, right corner of the uh, room. So the numbers of the pages we were going to sing from were changed, you know, every yes. time you went in there. and. Yeah, it was it was old school you and it was authentic. Me. Was it there was there an organ? Was there a piano? What was there? Uh, you know, I honestly if there was <clears throat> an organ, it would have been one of those little standalone ones. Like it wouldn't have had pipes or <laughs> anything, console. you know, yeah. with it, right? Um yeah, and then my um my parents, um my mom's family lived in Topeka, Kansas, and I believe it was a Presbyterian church, but it couldn't have been more different. Huge old stone church, giant sanctuary, kind of felt like a maze when you were moving one from one room to the other, like to the Sunday school wing yeah. and all that stuff. Like it was massive compared to um, the other church. Um, and then in addition to that, we um, moved around a lot when I was a kid. And so I was in a bunch of different churches as I was growing up. Um, in my 30s for a seminary class, I had to count up how many churches I had been in to that point, and it had been 13, 12 different denominations, 15 different Whoa. churches. 
So I have a very eclectic heritage. Yeah. So was it your grandparents then that helped you learn about God's story or how did that, mm. how did your, you know, faith come about? Yeah. So my parents um, were both believers. My grandparents were all believers and my parents got involved in something called Youth for Christ, a parachurch organization. And they were helping with youth and I was tagging along and I was at a movie night at a rally where they showed a movie that um, literally scared me into heaven. It was called Thief in the Night. (laughs) It was about the rapture and I didn't want to be left behind. Um, So, I mean, I really did have an initial fear response, but by the time I was like following the Lord, the spirit to go up front to pray the prayer, I was like, everything was like coming together. Like all the stuff that I'd heard about who Jesus is and what he does for us, it was all making sense. And so I genuinely went forward and and prayed the prayer. how old were you about? Nine. Nine. Yeah. And then was there a lull after that because you'd been scared into heaven or did Mm -hmm. Jesus become important right away? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I would say he he was always important to me. It definitely ebbed and flowed in terms of what that that looked like as I got older and older. Okay. And so... Did it, for instance, for, in my case, I, you know, I, I probably walked along in the faith and then at, at some point as an adult, mm-hmm. you have to make the conscious decision to really bring it into who you're going to be. Because for a time, you know, you're, you're carved along, as you mentioned with your parents. And yeah. then what, what did that look like? Yeah. So the thing I'm going to share about today, um, that relates to that question actually happened in my thirties. Like there were points before that, but what happened in my thirties was probably the most pivotal point of my faith journey. Um, I was full of doubt and full of questions in my thirties. Okay. And, um, I, and you're married at this point. mm -hmm, I'm married. I've been serving in the church, my adult life. I'm leading stuff. Um, And I've been a diligent student of the word that whole way. I've been in communities that have taught me the scriptures and I've been very invested in that. I've loved that. Uh Um, I was taught that you needed to be, you know, serving in your gift, figure out what your gift is. I was very invested in that. And that led to a place of confusion rather than a place of more and more certainty. Yeah. Um, and so in the middle of that, I was meeting with, um, my friend Jody, uh, weekly, we were praying she was one of the places where I could be real honest about what was happening with mm-hmm. me. And um, in the middle of that, the Lord was inviting me to go to seminary. And that was like a two-year wrestling. And I was like, Lord, like, I've heard the stories where people go and they like, it's like, it's the nail in the coffin That's to right, faith. They lose faith. It's, it's done. And, like, and I was very scared of that happening yeah. to me. Um, so that was one of the conversations that we had. And... Then the Lord surprised us. Dave's career changed. All of a sudden, we found ourselves in Southern California, and my father-in-law had gone to Fuller. I looked it up. There was a satellite campus, you know, 15 minutes away from us, and I was like, okay, Lord, I'll take one class. And it's ordained. Yeah. The rest is history. Hey, you take one class, yeah. and then you're hooked. Yeah, I was hooked. Yeah. So so you get through that, and then, and then what? You go through seminary? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, while I was in seminary, one of the things in the midst of all the doubt and confusion, there were a few things that were clear, just just a few. One of them was that um, I was supposed to be in seminary, but the Lord was not interested in telling me what it was about. Like, where is this going afterwards? <laughs> yeah. um, and the other thing was 
I had a lot of knowledge, and that knowledge wasn't leading to the life that was promised on the pages of Scripture. And so I basically asked the Lord if I could go through the classes slowly and prayerfully rather than like just taking in all this information, um, you know, at the normal rate that academic yeah. life goes at. And and so, um, so then I did it for five years. It was a two-year degree that took five years to do. Sure. And um, I was very, at times, I was very upset about the fact that the Lord wasn't showing me what He wanted me to do next. Mm-hmm. And um, one month after I turned in my last paper for my last class, I was sitting in my office and just having a normal prayer time with the Lord. And it, it was just like all of a sudden, it was so simple, it was so clear. And it was this invitation to teach people how to pray in the ways that I had learned how to pray during seminary that I had never been exposed to before. And that was what the Lord wanted me to be about. And so that started the next kind of leg of my journey. And so the two-year degree became a five-year degree because you were prayerfully going through each one, knowing that knowledge puffs up, right? It's written, and you felt that and decided to prayerfully go through it, not knowing what the Lord had for you. And the whole time he was, that was it. Yeah. That was what he was getting ready to do. Right. And, and were you, uh, pardon if I jump in the story a little bit, did you, had you already had Matt in this time? Mm-hmm. Did, and yeah. So when we moved to Southern California, this was Matt's, our son's um, middle school years. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I was in school and he was in school and it was good. That's really cool. Yeah. So then after that, you were in Southern California. Did you start a prayer ministry? How did how did the Lord transition you from the time of building up to pouring out? Yeah, so the fifth year um, of seminary, we actually had relocated back to Texas, and we were back at Crossroads again. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, and then um, the, the next thing that happened was I got invited to a Listen to My Life conference, and that ended up being materials um, that I could use to help lead others. And the thing that was so fabulous about that, like one thing that happened before I attended that conference, which was only one month after the conversation I just talked about with God, about what he wanted me to do next. Yeah. yeah. Um, one of the things that um, happened at that conference is as I was sitting there and telling Sharon Swing, one of the co-authors of the material about my journey and that the Lord had included me in for the last five years, but all of a sudden he's given me this this vision of what to do next. And I had said to the Lord in one of the prayer times before attending this conference, I don't care if it takes me five years to figure out how to do that in my context, because I've learned all this someplace else. People aren't familiar with what I know and translating it and inviting it feels like it could take a while. Mm -hmm. And I'm, and I'm like, but you've handed me this tool. Like I can start doing this right now with this. And then that's when she told me, they had been creating it for the five previous years. And you wouldn't have had it if, if it hadn't taken you five years to get there. It wouldn't have been ready in time. And the, and the whole time the Lord's oh, asking me to wait on him. And the, and the other thing that he clued me in on that was really significant, just a few days after that conversation about teaching people how to pray the way you've been taught, the Lord was like, the reason why I did not tell you 
was because you are so leadership oriented that when you experience something, you so automatically go into how you can share it with others, lead others in it. I needed you to be in it with me for a significant period of time so that you could be sharing out of that place. And yeah, yeah, I mean, it was just all the way it was all coming together was so incredible and so affirming and so hopeful to me. Wow. So you went to this conference, you were equipped with tools, you're at Crossroads. Did you, did you start a ministry outside of Crossroads? You started ministry in Crossroads? What? Yeah. So I went and sat down with, um, uh, Steve Hickson and Mike Meserly and shared with them what my journey had been like, kind of feeling the waters out for like, is this a place where I'm going to be welcome with what I care about and what I want to share? Totally was affirmed. Uh, then I just kind of started having conversations with people and watching for the people who seemed to be resonating with what I was saying or needed the thing that I had to offer. And so it just organically grew from there um, at Crossroads. And then I was invited to come on to the Grafted Life staff in 2011 or, or 2012. So that was a few years after that initial conversation with the Lord. Man, that's awesome. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm sensing a... a meandering, but you keep coming back. It's, it's like the Lord keeps taking you out and then bringing you back mm-hmm. in a circle to Crossroads. So you're at Crossroads, you go to Southern California, you come back to Crossroads. And then in the last couple of years, you guys, once again, you left Crossroads, you went out to Wisconsin, out to the wilderness where it's really, really cold. And then, <laughs> and then came back. What, what was that like? Where did... Yeah. So I think the practice that I want to share about that God's really been using in my life to change me is can very much connected to that. So um, there's a prayer practice called the Prayer of Examine. Okay. And it was one I'd been introduced to years before we went to Wisconsin. And it was one of those ones where I really did feel led by the Lord to try, but I kept bumping up against resistance and like lack of capacity to like do what it was inviting. Uh-huh. And I've learned to just be okay with that, you know. Um, and then it... Uh, when I went up to Wisconsin, it was like invited again. And it was invited in a way that's like you're not just kind of doing it once a day in the evening, but it's a prayer that you're doing like morning, noon, and night before you go to bed, that kind of a rhythm. Sure. And the prayer, what the prayer is, is that you spend, you know, a minute being in awe of God, like just being aware of His presence and having that sense of awe about who He is. And then that moves into gratitude. Like, what's one thing since the last time you prayed this prayer that you could be grateful over? Mm -hmm. And then after you've done that, then you spend time kind of reviewing what's happened in your life since that last time you sat and did the prayer. And is there a moment that jumps out to you as significant? You know, sometimes it's conviction over something that you did, something that I overreacted to. Sometimes it's like, oh man, I would have missed like what God was up to in that moment, if I hadn't sat and thought about it here, if I hadn't taken the time to reflect on it in this moment. So it was very much um, a dance of getting to know God better, getting to know myself better. Um, When I felt like I'm still reacting and I don't even know why I'm reacting the way I'm reacting, like having space to have the Lord's perspective spoken into that for me and to be taught, you know, by Him. So the prayer is incredibly versatile, um, but incredibly effective at transformation because you're paying attention to what's so real 
about your life with so, God. So he's invited you into this practice. What have you discovered about God and his character in, in going through it? Well, <clears throat> the number one thing that um, I discovered, and the, and the reason why I was so resistant to it in the early invitations, is God's grace. Hmm. Because one of the other things that, that came up about me that I needed to know is that I'm extremely afraid of failure. And, um, and one of the most powerful things I've experienced that helps you overcome a fear of failure is the experience of God's grace. Yeah. How much he is okay with the fact that you don't know how to do it. How much he wants to help you learn how to do what you don't know how to do. How much he understands why you, you know, are self-protective and go into a rage about something when you feel threatened. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, like... That the grace of God was early in my faith was something that was associated with my need for salvation, the grace of God to save me um, from sin. And, and now the grace of God is that, and it's God's presence in my life, His active presence, um, doing all the things He does. Like grace is connected to his kindness, his generosity, his love, his abundance. Like the operation of all those things is grace on yeah. my life. And so was it a, are you now accepting almost a, Delenn shared this mm-hmm. in, in her podcast, right? That when she went to a conference, I think it was Jen, you're going to have to forgive me for not remembering the last name, but they said that, um, <clears throat> when God delights in us, like a child, it's beginning to walk. She recounted the story of mm-hmm. Peter, right? He mm-hmm. walks out and then Jesus reaches out and says, Oh, you have little faith. Mm-hmm. And then said, think about this, the, what, what's the expression on Jesus face. Mm-hmm. And so in that moment, we know what we thought about God. And so is it, it, when we're talking about grace, are we talking about your fear of failure is somewhat assuaged because you don't have to worry about whether or not he's going to delight in you, even, even if it doesn't go as planned. Yeah, like I used to worry about that, and it's like that that worry is so not based in the truth. <laughs> he does delight in us. He he is there. He's delighted to be with us, to be helping us, to be in it with us, to have us decide we want to be in it with him. Like that and like one of the moments I had with the walking on the water thing lately is I wish I could remember what the circumstance that this was tied to. It's like, oh gosh, God, like you invited me out to walk on the water. And what turns out is out there on the water is a table set in still water where we're all hanging out there together. You're holding us above the water to have this conversation. And it was one I was absolutely terrified of having because I expected that we were going to be almost drowning the whole time we were out there having the conversation. And that wasn't what he was inviting at all. It was a feast. Yeah. In Man. a peaceful, beautiful place. That's awesome. It, it, it is like the Psalms, right? You prepared a table before me. And in this case, it wasn't in the presence of the enemies. It was in, yeah. in the midst of the sea, which was often a picture of chaos. And yeah. so you're out on this water and he's got you out there and is saying... 
rest and enjoy and yeah and I've got this and inviting other people to the table too that was like the little addition that was kind of yeah. crazy it was you know it was like other people were being invited out there with us to all be together man um, all right so did you need any help to start cooperating with God was there a spiritual practice I mean a mentor conversation like what what mm-hmm. I think we glossed over that what got you into this prayer how did you encounter it what was the mm-hmm Yeah, so the very first time I encountered it was in those Listen to My Life maps, and they called it Reviewing My Days. They had renamed it into more modern language. Uh, The Prayer of Examine goes back to the 1500s. Okay. Um, And so, yeah, that was when I was first um, introduced to it. And and also that Sybil Towner um, is one of the authors of the materials as well and has become a mentor um, to me. And so that's definitely something that would have come up in conversation, whether or not we were overtly naming it or more naming the practice of it, like the pieces of it, um, would have definitely um, come up along the way. And there would have been points at which I would have likely had conversations with her, with others who were familiar with the practice, like confessing my resistance, like puzzled by my resistance mm-hmm. and wanting help with that. Okay. Yeah. So how is this invitation to a better way of changing your life and impacting your relationships? Hmm. Well, it's impacting my relationships because often the question that ends up coming up is, why did I have a limited capacity to love in that moment? Like what was going on? And often um, it's because there was something I was afraid of and didn't even know it. Mm. And the more that I process my fears with the Lord and the more I experience relying on Him in the midst of the fear, there's like an equal change that happens in terms of capacity to love. In moments, and so um, that—that's how it's changing my relationships with my closest people. Mm-hmm. Um, because I just have long history. Like it's—it's it's easier to understand when you start doing this kind of reflection. It's easier to understand what's going on with the people that you're around the most. Like ways you get triggered into doing things that are not of God because of fear or whatever. Um, and that, that's been going on a long time with close relationships. But I think the growing edge place for me now are the relationships that are a little bit farther out. And I have less understanding of what it is about them that makes me afraid. Mm-hmm. And the Lord's helping me see that and understand that and know that He's there with us. He loves them. He loves me. He's all about helping us know how to love each other. And there's things we need to learn in order to be able to do that. And He wants to, to teach and help with that. Awesome. Yeah, it's it's so freeing. I mean, one example of this is I before we moved away to Wisconsin, um, I had a moment when I realized I don't like being in the foyer of the church. Okay. And I was like, why don't why? And and I just realized that there are certain kinds of conversations that I don't know what to do with. Okay. And I was, you know, basically the Lord was like teaching me how to like start with small talk. Like you like going in the deep dive, you know, like there's things that you like that the foyer is not really conducive to. And so I need to help you be in the foyer the way 
you are to be in the foyer, which includes small talk and stop being afraid of the things that are going to be asked of you in those conversations. Um, just learn to say, I don't know the answer, or I need to talk with the Lord about it before I give you an answer. Like there was some like tools that I needed to learn so that I wouldn't be afraid of what might come up in the foyer on Sunday morning. It's incredible to follow the Lord. Yeah. He's so like, he knows us so well and he knows how to help us. And peels it back one layer at a time. Yeah. You don't take the whole onion. Mm-mm. It's just. Never. Just pruning. Mm-hmm. Pruning us to become mm-hmm. something beautiful. Mm-hmm. To imitate Christ. Yeah. So, is there anything else you'd like to share? Hmm. I'm just so grateful to be back at Crossroads again. Like, I'm so grateful for the two years in Wisconsin that just recently happened because I really needed that time Mm -hmm. with the Lord, some more one-on-one time with Him, focused, concentrated time. And we have so many amazing relationships here that it was pretty distracting at that point. It was hard for me to say yes to invitations that God was extending um, then. And, And now it's just so incredible to be back here participating in what the Lord is doing and um, inviting people into these different ways of praying. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us today. Uh, To our listeners, we hope you've been inspired and encouraged. May we all know the goodness of a better way.